I've noticed something really interesting about this healing season of the podcast. In the 17 episodes that I've recorded, including this one, you would think there would be a lot more episodes that deal with physical healing. But there has been a surprising number of episodes focused on internal healing, emotional healing, mental healing, spiritual healing. And I find that really interesting. One reason I find that interesting is most of the time when we talk about healing, we're talking physically. And yet most of what many of us are navigating are those other wounds. Of course, God knew this, I'm sure, when he was presenting guests through Podmatch and other venues. He knew that there was a lot of healing that needed to happen that was going to go far beyond just physical wounds and disabilities. There are some deep, deep, deep things that God wanted to address. Today's episode gets into a pretty hefty one, rejection. Many of us have experienced rejection in one way or another. Some of us have experienced a pretty hefty rejection. Kelly is one of those. After 25 years of being married, she faced a brutal, brutal divorce that left her hurting in ways that she did not anticipate and ways that she didn't know how to navigate. But she knew a God who knew who she was and what she needed and who took her to a place that was abundantly more than she could have asked or imagined. My hope for you today is that if you have experienced rejection, that Kelly's story would encourage you and that God's love for you would become a little clearer than it was at the start of this episode. You're listening to episode 79 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, we just thank you that you are God and you are good. And you're the God that can work even when plans change. You can work with whatever we're bringing to the table because you already know. Um, There's so much you know that's beyond what we can know. So we just want to give this time to you, acknowledging that we don't know what you might have in store. We want to invite you to work. I just thank you for Kelly and the many, many, many stories you've given her. But we just pray that you would guide her mind, our minds towards whatever it is that uh, is just going to be abundantly more than we could have asked for or imagined. So we give it to you. Uh, we thank you for it. I ask your prayer in holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So Kelly, you and I have never met before. We've connected through Podmatch. And I'm excited to talk because there's actually a lot that and the little I know about you. I was like, oh, man, that could be a conversation topic. That could be a conversation topic. A whole bunch of stuff that fits into this bigger picture of healing. But before we do that, one of the things that I've been doing lately is I want to give guests a quick moment to share who they are, but to do it in a fun way. And I'm looking around because I do it like an improv game for myself where I never actually plan it ahead. And I try to come up with it on the spot. And I actually don't have a single thing in my mind of what it's going to be. Man, I really don't have one this time. All this is going to get cut out. So you have just been notified that you are being turned into the character of a children's book. And on the back of the book, it has this big animated picture of you. And then it has a little description of who you are in this book. So I've gotten the book. I'm giving it to my kids. They've turned around. They're reading it. What do they read on the back of the children's book about Kelly? That I empower people to know that they are loved by God and that they are here for a 
purpose and there's a good plan on their life and there is no limits to what they can do as someone who lives for the kingdom and to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I love it. I love it. That was probably the hardest time for me to try to think of one on the spot. That was fun. Okay, good. <laughs> so like I mentioned, there's there's so much that you bring to the table, Kelly. You know, when you and I first connected, and as you've been thinking about this conversation, and even just broadly about the topic of healing, is there something that has kind of risen up the highest in your mind or in your heart? Yeah, I have been on a journey, and I feel like I've been a, a butt God girl like for mm. such a long time. And it's just a great place to live. But when he shows up in your life, it really is incredible. And one of my very lowest moments, I was married for almost 25 years. So my husband came home and said his commitment to our marriage was zero and he left. Mm, And it just, my world blew up and my kids were at an age where they were going off to college. And so my role as a mom was changing because, you know, they had licenses and boyfriends and girlfriends and jobs and school. And so didn't really feel like a mom anymore. And there was just a series of really unreasonably difficult things that happened. And when you're someone who's left, you get this spirit of rejection that's on your life. You just do. You dedicate your whole life to being a wife and then the person you love rejects you. And I remember sitting up in bed one morning and just hearing rejected, rejected. And I knew that wasn't coming from God. And I had to say, okay, well, God, you're not rejecting me. And also no one has been more rejected and took every rejection than Jesus did. And I got on my bike and I just started riding and the tears were flowing and it was really, really healing. And at the time I was having unreasonable financial demands. I had some physical things going on. My kids had a variety of issues with my son's college, my daughter's horse. I mean, I had to move in three weeks with almost no notice. It was just a lot that day. And I was just crying out like, God, I don't think I could do this. I need someone to literally like come in and sweep me off my feet. I need to know you see me. But, you know, the day kept going and I got in the shower and put on my lipstick and I went out to, I was personal training to train my first client and we had a good session and she was, you know, just in a great place in her life and I was so thankful for her. And as she was leaving, she comes back in and she looks at me and she said, Kelly, God put you on my heart at church yesterday. And I just, I could feel the tightness in my throat and the tears come to my eyes because it was just God showing up saying, I see you, I hear you. And I said, he did. And she said, yeah, he told me to pay your bills this week. Hmm. And now I've had this client for 13 years. She's never one time remotely offered anything like this. I mean, she's a great client. I love her. She pays her sessions on time, but to pay my bills for the week. So it was so emotional for me, but I said to her, oh my goodness you don't want my bills this week. That was really sweet of you to offer. But when I leave here, do you see my front tooth? It chipped this weekend and I need to go get it repaired. And then from there, I've had this spot on my back and the dermatologist biopsied it and it's suspicious. He wants to cut it out. I'm going to have a dermatologist bill. And my horse, my daughter's horse colic this weekend. So I'm going to have to go and pay the vet bill. And then, and, and I'm going on and on. And she stops me. She goes, Kelly, stop it. You just give me the receipts on Sunday night. You tell me what it is and that's it. And so she walked out and she came back. She goes, you know what? Don't even worry about the receipts. Just tell me what the amount is. Mm. 
So I walk in the house and I get on my knees. I just throw myself on the floor. I'm like, Lord, you are so amazing. Like I was just crying. I need someone to come and sweep me off my feet. And so the phone rings and it's my friend Jill. And she goes, oh, hey, Kelly, I just got two tickets to King and Country. I would love to take you to a concert and dinner. Would you like to come? And I was like, Lord, you don't want me just to have my needs met. You want me to have fun. Like you're so amazing, more than I could ask, think, or imagine. This is incredible. So I get in the car and I drive to the dentist's office and my dentist is not there. This little girl looks like she's about 12 years old and this is my front tooth. And, I'm, and normally the old me would have been like, let me see the chart. I want to match the color. And I was like, you know what? This day's going so great. I'm just going to relax and let her do her job. She did a fabulous job. I have not had one problem with this tooth. Then as I get in the car, my son calls me and he had just had the major disappointment of his life. He was released from his collegiate baseball team because they brought in a new coach and the freshmen were the first to go and he was devastated. He had been on the couch for a week, not even showering. And that moment he called and he's like, mom, I'm going to go to the junior college and go take classes. I'm going to go see if I can get my summer job back. Uh, I'm going to get in front of some coaches. It was just like the moment where he had that turnaround and I was like, wow, I was really concerned about him, just not knowing what he might do, how he would get over this. I get to the dermatologist. I'm laying face down and I'm like, doc, you know, I can't really see my back, but, you know, I took a picture and I looked in the mirror. I don't really see, you know, what you're seeing. And he looks and he goes, yeah, you know, I don't really see anything either. Maybe we got everything with the biopsy. Come back in six months. And I was like, oh, praise Jesus. So I go to the store to get some aloe for the horse who has colic. And on my way out, it gets put on my mind to get a gift card for the woman at the barn who's taking care of the horse. And it's extra work to take care of a sick horse. So I look at the gift cards and I grab one, $50 for chilies, and I get a card. And I'm driving to the barn and I put the aloe up and I've got this pink envelope with the gift card in it. And as I'm putting it on the table, the door opens and this woman comes out. And she gets so excited. She's like, oh, what's this card? And I go, oh, you know, it's just a little something extra for you. I appreciate you taking extra care of the horse. And she opens it up and she goes, Kelly, Chili's is my favorite restaurant. Mm. I have $4 in my account. Wow. I had no idea. I did not know what her situation was. I leave there and I drive to the house that I'm considering moving to. And the home inspector is there. And he says, oh, Kelly, great timing. You, you just walked in. I finished. This house is perfect. I would let my parents buy it. Mm. So the home inspection checked out. So the week goes on and I'm like, oh, my car insurance was due. My American Express was due this week. I am sure when my client said she would pay my bills this week, she was probably thinking like gas and groceries. This is a tremendous amount. So Sunday night comes and I'm looking at all these receipts and I'm like, wow, you know, I had airfare on that American Express and, you know, she probably didn't realize that, you know, my car insurance was due this week. And so I start to back things out of the bill and I'm like, wait a minute, Laura, like, I don't know what you're doing in my client and her family to build their giving muscle, but you're also building my receiving muscle. I'm so good at giving and doing and good, but I have not been a good receiver. And that's not how your economy works. It is sowing and harvesting. So I put the number together and I sent her and her husband an email and I said, I am confident this is more than you had in mind. If you gave me nothing, you have so built my faith just that God saw me. 
I said, but honestly, this is excessive. So anything you give me, I will be so honored and forever humbled and grateful. Well, she came in the next morning and she rounded up. Wow. And that's how good my God is. That's just one of so many times where I've cried out to him that he has showed up. Yeah. You went from an incredibly hard moment to like an unexpectedly, like, is this a movie kind of a moment? And it's, oh man, it's powerful. And what you tapped into early on is this idea of rejection. You experienced it in a pretty intense way. I mean, I, I feel like on the scale of rejections, like I feel like rejection of a spouse is is way up there. And yet God's acceptance and what that does, I mean, trumps anything we can experience. Now, we don't always believe it, but you got to experience it in some ways that were not just unbelievable, but then you couldn't deny that they <laughs> existed. You were physically experiencing all these things. How did that translate into then having to navigate the rejection? How did this sense of God's acceptance of you help you in what must have been quite a long process? It really was a lesson in identity for me that the things of the world are so temporary. So my role as a wife for 25 years, my role as a mom, I mean, it never really ends, but that season of child rearing ends when they become adults. The neighborhood I lived in, which was a, I was in a million dollar neighborhood, golf course, gated community. I mean, that went away. Whatever it is, what you're driving, the purse you're carrying, I mean, all of that means nothing. It is so temporary. So it makes you keep your eyes on God and realize that nothing here really, really matters. It is all temporary. And at the end, I need to keep my eyes on him because my peace is just too expensive and he still has a plan on my life and I don't want to miss it because I stayed stuck or stopped in depression or bitterness or grief or like he died for all of those things. So for me to stay there, it's one thing to go through it. I mean, even Jesus at times was, you know, angry or frustrated or sad. I mean, that, that's just part of where emotional beings, our mind or will and our emotions are making up our soul. And so it's okay to feel that. For, I mean, grieve. You, you need to grieve. It's a death when you go through a divorce. So there are dreams that are shattered and unmet expectations and things that are unjust and unfair. And But when I thought about it, Jesus... He endured all of those things. He was persecuted. He was rejected by Pharisees and Sadducees and his own people, his own family even. Yeah. So it, I just need to keep it in perspective and get out of my own way and my own little pity party. Yeah. What I really love about what you've done now in both moments that you've shared, you've tapped into another part of identity that we don't always tap into. Like sometimes we can get to the place where we will address negative things we are putting into our identity and releasing things that don't have to be tied to our identity. But twice now you've brought it to this other level that as believers we're invited to, but we don't often do, which is how do we understand our identity through Christ? And you've mentioned Jesus experienced rejection. One of the most powerful moments for me during a really hard season was I recognized there was a lot of unjust stuff happening. Nothing I was doing could fix it. it. Felt like things just kept on going. And I went up during a church service and they had, you know, pillows along the front where you could just pray. And I got down and I was praying. And I just felt like this sense of this suffering and the recognition that it just wasn't going. And I was immediately reminded of the verse of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. 
I had a realization much like what you shared of even the worst of what I've experienced, Jesus has experienced so much more and it was incredibly unjust and undeserved. And this moment happened where I suddenly realized that I understood Jesus in a deeper way than I ever had before because I knew he had suffered before. But now because I was experiencing unjust suffering, I had kind of a line into understanding him more deeply and being able to identify with him in a new way. And so I think it's really beautiful that that's what you're bringing into this. Like your identity is not just not tied to these specific things like being a wife or being a resident of this neighborhood, but you're also saying that your identity is tied to Christ. So how is it that Christ's ability to endure rejection, how does that now shape how you move through your day? Yeah, well, there is suffering in this world. He said there would be, right? So there's mm. going to be hard things. We're going to get that phone call. There's going to be that accident, you know, the diagnosis. That's just part of it. We're going to have hard things and suffering, but he overcame the world. You know, that's why he came. So it just gives me the resilience to say, okay, you were knocked down 10 times, get up 11. Like Jesus kept getting up. And we have a choice. We cannot. We can stay and play the victim, but then the enemy wins. And nothing makes me madder than that. Like mm -hmm. the enemy cannot win. I hate what God hates. God hates shame. I mean, even Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. And as soon as they sinned, he covered them up. And Cain, he's like, no, I'm going to protect you. And so God hates all those things. So why should we carry rejection, shame, guilt? And using divorce again, the person who leaves the marriage they carry shame and guilt for breaking up their family. Yeah. And again, we just keep giving the enemy more opportunities to lie to us, you know, steal, kill, destroy, all the things he does by staying in our mind and telling us, you messed up, you're too far gone, you're not good enough. So it's kind of double-sided where one, I rise up like, enemy, no, you're not winning. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I hate what God hates. I'm going to hate pornography. I'm going to hate sex trafficking. I'm going to hate... I want to hate what God hates. And I hate when he gets in the mind of people and lies to them and keeps them down. But I also love that we're supposed to be more Christ-like and we're supposed to turn the other cheek and we're not supposed to judge and to become more like him every day so I can carry this peace and not anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I really liked about what you shared is it could start to sound like a story of things that God was doing for you to like boost you in the midst of a hard time. But what was actually happening is God wasn't just revealing to you that you were accepted, but through that was doing it for others, through your son navigating what life could look like in the midst of his rejection. This dentist, I mean, who knows what she must have thought as the new young dentist and how often she might have experienced someone saying, no, 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 I want the other doctor, like, and what it might have done for her to be received by you and the gift card and like the person feeling seen and who knows what she was experiencing that day. So like in the midst of God meeting you, he was also meeting others in this beautiful, holistic way. And as you were sharing that, it reminded me of your journey and the little I know. And I glanced at your website and, you know, your story could have just ended. There is this painful, painful divorce. God met me in it. And now I'm finding a path to full life. Like that could have been in the story, but that's not the end of the story. From there, it said, now I'm finding a path to full life. And now I'm investing my life and helping others to navigate this as well. So tell me a little bit more about that. How did God bring you from a place of not just healing on your own, but inviting you into the process of others? 
Yeah. So when you go through a divorce, it's like a tornado comes in and it blows up every area of your life and leaves this gaping, excruciatingly painful hole in your heart. And I'm a knowledge person. I wanted to go seek knowledge and wisdom about, you know, why did this happen? What was my part? How do I make this better? So I went on this three-year healing sabbatical journey where I went to divorce recovery. I got in the prayer groups. I was in the word. I was worshiping every day. I'm listening to sermons. I went to the retreats and just did all the things to peel back layer by layer by layer to heal. And I was, you know, managing my own heart, but also my children who, you know, all of us were just shocked by this news. So I was the subject of their hurt and anger because they needed a safe place that could be the target of all the things that they were feeling. And I was it. So I needed to be strong for them while I was trying to dig out myself. So one of my goals was to get two kids successfully set up in college. Um, I was the financial leader in the family. So I was completely responsible for that happening. And I got two kids in college last August, had a freshman and a sophomore. And I felt like, whew, they're in the schools they want. They're both collegiate athletes. They've got computers, phones, car. I mean, I'm like, okay, yes, Lord, we checked that box. They're as set up as they can be for success. And I drove home that night from dropping the second one off at school. And I sat with the Lord. I'm like, okay, yes, now what? And I really felt the impression, because it wouldn't be you, like this was not my idea, to help other women through this divorce recovery road. And I didn't even say the word divorce for a year. Mm. Literally, my former husband moved out before I told my mom. I mean, this was like, I was not going to talk about this. So for me to put myself out there as the divorce coach, I'm like, oh, no, Lord, like, no, 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 no. I am not getting on stages talking about this. Like, I just want to crawl into my hole and just figure out a way to survive. That's how you know it's God. So I did get certified by the American Association of Christian Counselors as a divorce coach for myself, again, because I wanted to learn what is all this and, and how did this happen? And so I went on this, maybe it took another four months, and I created the program that I wished that I had had, the program that dealt with identity, forgiveness, renewing your mind, purpose, divine health, abundant wealth, self-love, joy, gratitude, resurrection. So those are all the things that are in my program that really made the difference for me. And in watching friends of mine that were getting divorced at the same time, I so wanted them to do something healthy. And when you're in pain, you're going to do something. And I wanted them to choose something healthy. And I watched some isolate, some escape, some turn to another man, wine. I mean, you get you do something. So I'm like, oh, I want them to do something healthy. Otherwise, you just keep repeating the same dysfunction. So that was really my motivation. Plus, I had been a coach for 34 years. So I was in the space of fitness, nutrition, wellness, lifestyle. But I have been about people walking in divine health from a spirit, mind, body perspective my whole life, I just added this relationship piece because it's so important in life. I mean, our relationships, that's, that's why we're here. You know, it's all about community and relationships and winning. Yeah. When that community piece, you know, that's what's really beautiful about God bringing about this idea and the fact that you had friends that were starting to go down this road and 
The reality is, is had God not prompted that idea, divorce can be a very lonely and isolating space. I mean, because again, you're breaking apart family, so you're losing that unit. But then which friend is going to side with which spouse and who's going to accept that and what church member is going to dismiss you? All these things that could end up creating more division. And yet God, in his love and goodness, put this idea that you wouldn't have pursued in your mind that actually created community in the midst of a space that you would never have thought you would find community. How have you seen that leading then to like thriving, not just for you, but for others? Yes, you know, I did have reservations because I was like, Lord, I don't think my children want their mom to be the divorce coach. And I certainly don't think my former husband wants me to be the divorce coach or my future husband, because I know I will be married again. Like, is anyone even going to consider dating me when I'm the divorce coach? You know, these were just all things that were, and I'm, I'm still not dating. It's been almost four years, but yeah. I know I will be married again. So my first goal is to do what I can to save a marriage if it's healthy to do that. So if I meet a woman who she's at a place where she's like, I can't stand to be in the room with him, like this is over. And, and if I can get her to work on her, it's amazing how marriages can be restored if it's healthy. I mean, there's times where it's abusive and, and it's just right. not. But that's always my goal. That excites me the most. The next thing would be to get the woman to get her courage back, to get her confidence back, to get out of that place of victim. And I mean, horrible things happen. There, There is horrible abuse and unjust, unfair things that happen. But to get her back to just shining light and truth on her situation about just because a person doesn't love her doesn't change God's love for her. And to get her to start seeing and believing what is true instead of what might look like her current reality and getting her to imagine this future where things can be incredible again, that there is still hope and to really get them present. Because if they're spending all their time thinking about all the things that went wrong or were bad in the past, then they're living in that place of fear and guilt. And if they're so concerned about their future, they're living in a place of anxiety. So if I can get them present and to get, you know, really do a deep dive on their purpose and get excited and hope-filled again, then it, that's really exciting to me. Yeah. You know, as you're talking, you know, you're smiling, you're energized, like, and you're talking about these really great things. And it reminded me of a conversation I've, actually, it's come up in multiple conversations during this series, where someone has gotten to a place of walking towards full life and feeling restoration and finding healing. And yet often still having moments where the past or the pain or the unknowns kind of hit. What does that look like for you? Do you still have to navigate moments of pressing up against that rejection trying to lie to you? And how do you navigate that? That is a great question. So there definitely are triggers without a doubt. So for example, I thought I was doing good. Like, okay, you know, I had been going to the healing place and doing all things. And, you know, you start to get back up and you're breathing and you have a little wind here and there. And then you see that your former husband within a month of your divorce is engaged. Mm. And then you see within a few months he's remarried. And then you see, you know, and just so there's these little triggers. Like you think you're good. And then you're like, okay, I just found out on social media he's married. Like we were together for 25 years. Couldn't have he at least maybe called and told me and the kids first? Or, you know, so you have those little moments where that set me back a little bit. But what happens is I don't fall as often. I don't fall as deep. I don't fall as long. So if something big happens, I can shake it off really quickly. When you do the deep forgiveness work, 
I decided to live a life of pre-forgiveness. So what that means is, number one, why am I so easily offendable? I want to make sure that I'm not living in a place where I'm so defensive and offendable. Number two, I decide that I'm not going to judge myself, which means I'm not going to judge others because what's inside us is what comes out of us when we're squeezed. Mm -hmm. So I am not going to let what's going on in government, politics, economy, like I'm still going to get up with joy every day, regardless of what's on the news. And I filter all of that. So I decide not to bring any of that into my life, but it's a pre-decided life. And if for some reason I do get offended, I can turn it around really quickly. And certainly if I feel like I've offended someone, I will be very quick to apologize. And really the highest level of forgiveness where you have true freedom is when you bless the person in the place where they offended you. So for example, with my former husband, I can say with 100% just purity and truth that I forgive him and I bless him and his new wife in their marriage. I mean that. I want nothing but the best for them. I have no ill will or harsh things to say. I don't necessarily want to sit down and have dinner with him right now, but I mean that just completely. So that's where the freedom comes. And the highest freedom for me was forgiving myself for feeling like such a failure. That was way, way harder than forgiving my ex-husband. And so when I was able to do that, I mean, it was palpable for me, the difference where I was holding my own feet to the fire. I was burning myself. You know, this shouldn't happen to me. I did all the right things. I was a good wife. I... And then I'm like, this is where you are. You need to readjust to this reality and forgive yourself mm-hmm. because God mm-hmm. forgives you. His mercies are new every single day. So it's, again, going back to the promises and the truth that's in the word. So you've got to spend a lot of time there and really soaking in heaven to understand that. Yeah. You know, two things came to mind as you were sharing. The first, I was reminded of the verse you mentioned earlier, where in this world you will have trouble. And when you're talking about pre-forgiveness, somebody could hear that and be like, wait, what? Why would you why would you do that? And part of it is because we operate in this mindset that this world's not going to have trouble. Like if we do our best, if we surround ourselves with good people, that we can create a world in which there is no trouble. Like we would never say that, but we definitely function like that. So then when trouble hits, well, that just that just knocks us down. But if we remember that Jesus said, hey, by the way in this world, you're going to have trouble, then you can actually step back and say, okay, that means that there's going to be trouble ahead. So how can I position myself now for the inevitable moment when somebody offends me, somebody hurts me? So I love that idea of pre-forgiveness. You know, you're not going in blind, you're not going in rashly. You're actually saying, I kind of know what's ahead in a sense. And that's the second part of the verse, right? But I leave you my peace. Not only do I know what's ahead, but Jesus has given me what I need in order to keep walking, though I know it's ahead. One thing I want to ask is, you know, you have an understanding of God now that's driving you. You also had an understanding of God before. And what would you say is one of the most profound differences between how you understand God now versus how you understood him before? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, initially, I grew up Catholic in New York, Catholic, Italian, you know, so much of our culture just determines our religion. And so when I relocated, and we came down as a family to Dallas and really got into the, the buckle of the Bible belt here. And there's so many amazing churches and 
I got sold out really fast. When I went to the first, you know, Bible-based evangelical church, I could feel the presence of God. I cried every Sunday at least for the first year, like I was the only one in the room. My heart just softened and melted. And I trained like a soldier. I went to every conference. I was at the women's conferences. I went to intensive trainings on, you know, hearing God and, you know, just building my spiritual gifts, you know, gifts of hospitality, gifts of healing, gifts of evangelism. And, you know, I just dove in. And when you spend time with God, just like a best friend, I mean, you really get to know them. And he shows up in your life. He's real. He's he's living. He's alive. He lives inside of us. So I put the work in and came with a childlike faith, but also really intentional. I mean, I trained like a soldier spiritually. I was just intentional and committed. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I actually, I remembered the thing that I forgot. And I'm going to come back to that but both things attached to this idea of rejection. And here's what's really beautiful about the first story you told. So you've tried to seek God, and then this thing happens. This horrible divorce after 25 years happens. And what your mind could have said is not only has my husband rejected me, but God must be rejecting me too to allow this to happen. And God, as you shared in the first story, it was like, oh no, 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 no. I have not rejected you, right? I also, you know, this idea of rejection, you, you mentioned earlier that in the midst of forgiving, you also had to forgive yourself. That really resonated with me because I haven't been divorced, but I've experienced rejection through losing a job. And there are going to be people that listen who may not have experienced divorce or lost a job, but experience rejection in another way. Most of us have experienced rejection in some way, shape or form. And some of us have experienced pretty profound rejection. And the heftier the rejection, the more you can find yourself in a space where you start to question, well, there must be something wrong with me for them to not want me around anymore, for them to not want to be married to me or for them to not want to employ me. There must be something wrong with me. I must be the issue. I love that piece that you shared about part of the healing comes in stepping back and really looking at yourself and releasing some of those lies or releasing the things that even if they're true, they don't actually matter in light of what God is saying and what God is calling us to. And so how do you do that though? Because I feel like there are people who think that's a good idea, but it's really hard to come up against when all these other voices are saying these things about you and your own mind is saying these things. How do you press against that to actually get to a place of truth? Yeah, you know, in the world, again, there will be trouble. We're called to be resilient. We're called to get back up again and again and again. And if you look at people in the world who have done some of the greatest things, whether it's by the world standards or, you know, someone like a Martin Luther King, who who faced more rejection than him? And he would say the bigger his day was, the more important the meetings were that he was going to face, the more time he needed in prayer the more people he surrounded around him to pray with him because he was going up against, I mean, that's some massive rejection. If you look at, you know, like the mother Teresa's of the world and wow, I mean, they went up against some really, really hard things, but they had a big calling that dream that he had, that why that mother Teresa had and some of the other, you know, evangelists out there that have given the the greatest prices, even soldiers, they had a big why. And it's got to come from some place of knowing God that this is in you for a reason. He put that there. 
And so you just keep getting back up again and again and again. Anyone who's done anything great in the world has probably overcome some of the greatest difficulty. They've built the skills, they've built the resilience. And for me, it's got to be God first. I have a part to do and God can't do my part and God's got a part to do and I can't do his part. So we're working together in this flow and in this synergy. I'm sure I miss it a lot. I'm sure you know, that I'm constantly missing the mark. That's what sin is. It's separation from God. So whether it was my ego, my pride, whatever, you know, wanting to play the victim, listening to the enemy's lies, I know I keep missing it, but I'm going to get up every day and just surrender and say, God, here I am use me. Your will be done, not mine. Here's my car keys. Here's my cell phone. You know, here's my body, my bank account. I mean, what do you, what is it you want me to do today? He says, trust me and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to me and I will make your path straight. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, here's my calendar here. Like I'm giving it all to you every day. And if I feel like I have an impression, then I want to be as obedient to that as I can, as quickly as I can. And if not, then I'm going to do, you know, what's on my calendar to do and keep checking in all day long, you know, putting on a worship song or just, I imagine myself in heaven. So if I was just, there's a place I sit outside or on my couch or in my bed. And I just imagine if Jesus was right there laying next to me and we were in heaven, what would he say? Mm. Would he be telling me I was a failure? No. Well, you know, would he be saying I wasn't enough? No. So I just keep going back to the last thing he told me. And sometimes in this that season, it was be still. And that was so frustrating for me because I'm like, Lord, I am terrible at being still. You designed me to be a doer and an achiever. Like, what is this about? But it's back to that flow of God lies us down to rest at times. And in that time, he's working strengthening us for whatever the next thing is. So that's part of the equipping. So you you just have to keep shining truth and light on everything you're believing, saying, and doing, because it does become your identity. Yeah, it's this idea of, you know, we define what it means for someone to deserve love. And when you're rejected, you can come up with all the reasons why you don't deserve love. When we look at scripture, we see something very different. Jesus is pressing and pouring out love to such an extent that he even says to love your enemies. That's who we would say doesn't deserve love. And your story reflects Jesus's love for even that level because he invited you to extend love to your ex-husband, to like give forgiveness, to bless them. There can be plenty of people who could have looked at that and who may have said this to you, said he does not deserve that. He does not. He deserves for you to. But. That's the power of love, right? That's the power of God's love, that it is so immense that any reason we could come up with to not deserve it, God just kind of chuckles and says, no, no, I still love you, (laughs) right? And so the journey then becomes us accepting that, being willing to accept that, to put aside our understanding of love and say, okay, I don't know why you love me, God, but I want to, I want to accept that. That's big and powerful. It is. He is so good. I have so many miracle stories. It, I just get overcome by them. Yeah, that was a funny thing. It's like when we started this episode, I glanced at a few of these things and I'm like, man, what are we going to talk about is, you know, the divorce thing. There's a lot of powerful stuff there, but wait, she got electrocuted and wait, this <laughs> like, so, you know, 
But for the sake of time, I have two questions for you. And so one of them is just very basic. Let's say somebody's listening to this and they are on the verge of a divorce. They're in the midst of a divorce. They've experienced divorce. How can they connect with some of these resources that you've created, connect with you? How do they start to move forward in this? Yes. Well, they can definitely email me, Kelly, K-E-L-L-I, at Kelly Calabrese, C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E.com. And tell me your story. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear it and just connect with you and have a conversation. So if they email me, I can send them my calendar and just get on the phone with them. And my website is kellycalabrese.com. I have some free resources there about what not to do, what to do. You know, kids, that's a big concern. So how your kids don't have to be a statistic of divorce because the statistics are horrible for kids, but doesn't have to be that way with, you know, everyone's family. And I have a free Facebook page for women called Intentionally Fabulous, where it's private. We talk about the hard things. We encourage each other. We shed light on things. We laugh. And it's just a good place for equipping for anyone in any season of grief, whether they're still married or seven years post-divorce. It's a great community of people there. Yeah. To close out, I always love to leave space for anything else that's on your heart or mind. What's on your heart? Yeah, I would say my goal every day, the lens that I look through for life is three words, let love win. That is always my goal. What would be the highest, most beautiful thing that could happen in this situation? How can love win? And it's just the barometer that helps you make decisions in the moment that brings you peace. That's the last commandment that Jesus came for, would to love one another. So if you find yourself in a situation, whether it's you know divorce, losing a job, an accident, a diagnosis, how can love win in that situation? Because that's really the biggest encourager. And then get around people who can just speak life into you. So many free resources. Get in the word, listen to podcasts like this and sermons. When you can't encourage yourself, then find people around you to encourage you with truth. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in truth in this episode is that while Kelly was rejected by her ex-husband, she was never rejected by God. And in fact, that verse was stuck in my head. I would never leave you nor forsake you. And I couldn't remember exactly where it was. So I searched and I found out it's actually a lot of places. And so I wanted to take a minute just to read through some of these verses. I'm not going to read the full context, but I'll give you the reference so that you can go back and find out what was happening when these were said. First Chronicles 28.20 David also said to Solomon his son, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. First Kings 8.57 May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. Deuteronomy 4.31 For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. 
Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Genesis 28.15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Hebrews 13.5 and 6 say, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Joshua 1.5 No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus is giving the great commission, and then he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Psalm 94, 14, For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Isaiah 41, 10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There are a lot of scriptures that emphasize that God is with us, and those weren't even all of them. And yet, so often in our lives, we operate as though we have been rejected by God. We believe that God should reject us, that we are not good enough for him, that we have messed up, that he couldn't love us, but the reality is, is that God will never leave us nor forsake us. God will never leave us nor forsake us. God loves us. God loves you so much that he will not reject you. I'm reminded of the passage in Revelation 3.20 that says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Like, I just really want to emphasize the fact that God is with you. We're coming close to the Advent season where we hear Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you. And in those moments in your life where you feel rejected by others, where you are rejected by others, and where you feel alone, you are not rejected by God and you are not alone. And those are nice words, but in those hard moments, sometimes those words don't feel like enough. Sometimes it is hard to believe that God could accept us. And sometimes it is hard to believe that we are not alone. Part of this hard journey towards knowing we aren't rejected is to choose to live as though we are accepted. So I want to give you a challenge. If you are in that place of feeling rejected and alone, I want to take us back to that earlier episode with Rich where we talked about silence and centering prayer. And I want you to make some space to just sit with God. But the reason I feel like the silence could be so important is sometimes we feel like God isn't with us or that he rejects us because we don't hear from him. That we've been praying and praying and praying and it seems like he's not responding. Silence removes that expectation that we have to hear from God. Silence removes the demand that he respond to us. And instead, we are simply sitting as though we are sitting with him. Even if we don't feel it, even if it's hard to believe, we are doing a physical act to sit with a God who is with us. So I encourage you to make space to do that. Sit with God as though he really does accept you and as though he really is there. And see what that does for you. Because I believe simple acts like that actually position us to be able to better trust the foolishness of God. To actually believe 
that this invisible God could actually be with us and that this holy God could actually love us. People will reject you. It is a heartbreaking reality of humanity, but God will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter what. So sit with him and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, Uh, Think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?